Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4. This will be the 35th message in the series on the whole counsel of God, and we'll be dealing this morning with this subject of the justice of God. Is God a just God? We've asked the question, who and what is God? And we've covered for several weeks now, even into several months, this particular finding that God is a spirit, he is an infinite spirit, that is, he's not limited by space. He is an eternal spirit in that he was not conceived and had a beginning in time. He's an unchangeable spirit in that because he is infinitely wise and powerful, he does not have to change his plans and his purposes, so he's an unchangeable being. He possesses all wisdom, he possesses all power, he's a God of holiness in that he loves that which is good and hates that which is evil. And now today we find another of his attributes, and that is he's a God of justice. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32 and verse 4, for our text on this subject, he is, our, he is the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. I notice the part of the text in which that it says his work is perfect because all of his ways are judgment. And this judgment is rooted in the fact that he is a God of truth, without iniquity, therefore just and right is he. You don't have to turn there, but in the 89th Psalm, in verse 14, we have a companion scripture to go with this. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. God has a throne, and he rules on that throne. He does according to his will in the heavens and on earth. But that throne is just not an arbitrary throne which some monarch may rule from in an unjust fashion whereby that those who have earned much receive little, and those who have earned little receive much. But instead we read that the throne from which our God rules is a throne of justice and judgment. Now we see a deterioration in our land, the United States of America, in our system of law. We've seen it deteriorate to where now that not many in our society are crying out for judges who will judge in a just fashion according to the deserts of the offender. Now, when we come before God, can we be assured that we are going to be treated accordingly and that we will not be wronged by the judge of the universe? So this raises the question then, Pastor Gables, is God ever unrighteous or unjust in his ways? I know God does a lot of things that appear just, uh, just to me. I see that when he judges the murderer, as he did Pharaoh and several in the Bible, I can see his justice in that. But Pastor, is there ever a thing in which that God is unrighteous or unjust? 
in any of his ways. And to that, I would let the psalmist comment or reply by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in reading from the 145th Psalm in verse 17. Here the psalmist says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all of his works. Our God who rules in the heaven has never done, does not now do, nor will ever do any unrighteous or unjust act on his part. We read in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 12, Shall not he render to every man according to his works? That is, every person that has a being in time that is conceived in the mother's womb is brought forth from that womb and lives however many minutes, years, or months, however long it may be, and then dies. They will be treated according by God as to what they have done how they have rendered themselves accountable for their deeds. And I'm also grateful that whenever I preach on the justice of God, that I don't have to stay there because we also read that our God is a God of grace. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm glad that my God has not treated me according to my works. Because when you say, Pastor Davis, you've just read a verse here. Shall he not render to every man according to his works? What do you mean? God hasn't dealt with you according to your works. Because, my friend, while God deals with every man according to what they deserve, he also has dealt with some in matters of grace and given us more than we deserve. And if you want to stand before God on the basis of your human merit, then God will deal with you on that basis. But I don't want to stand before God on the basis of my works and my human merit because I know that he is a just God and if I had to stand before him on that basis, I'd get exactly what I deserve and I know as a lawbreaker what lawbreakers get at the justice of God. So rather than coming before the judgment and pleading God's justice to stand on my behalf, I'm going to stand there and plead his mercy and grace in Christ Jesus in what our Lord bore on my behalf. So to answer the question, is God ever unrighteous or unjust in any of his ways and his dealings with any of his creatures, and the psalmist would reply, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and holy in all of his works. But to say, Pastor, there are some things in the Bible which I find difficult to reconcile with my conception of justice. How am I to approach these things? You say, Pastor, now I believe in justice, but I find some things in the Bible which I find hard to reconcile with my conception of justice. And I see things that go on around about me that happen, and I find it hard to reconcile this with my conception that if God is just, then how does this happen in his system of justice. How am I to deal with these things? When I read in the Old Testament in which that the Israelites were commanded to go in and destroy the inhabitants of the land, and I know that they were wicked inhabitants, I know they offered their children uh, to idols, but yet I read that this just God that we read about in the Bible commanded not only the adults but the infants 
and the cattle and the sheep to be destroyed before the swords of the Israelites. Now, Pastor, I find that hard to conceive of in my mind as a God of justice. And not only that, but I look around and I see many things in, that happen in the earth. I see tragedies that occur, and I see this and this and this, and I find it hard to conceive that it, how God can be just in even allowing these things to occur, even attributing to the fact that he is not the direct author of them, but the very fact that they do occur, if he could have prevented them, how could he be just and allow these things to happen? But first of all, I would reply in this fashion. These are things which the mind of the of men has. And you would be a rare creature indeed if you had never thought upon these things and what you've been exposed to in life. But here is one thing. Now listen carefully. Before you go any further with God, the God of the Bible, settle this question. And it's found in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. Here it is, quote, Shall not the judge of all the earth be right? Settle that question. Before you'll ever advance into a communion with God whereby that you can respect Him or you can appreciate Him, you're going to have to settle this question, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I know that many have different battles that we have to wrestle with. I know that in my own mind there have been many issues that I've had to settle in regard to the things of the Bible, things involving this inspiration, and things involving several of its particular characteristics, the doctrines that it teaches. But my friend, I've had to do this by coming low and saying, My God, you have revealed this to be the case. I humbly submit to this, even though I cannot give all the answers to it. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? You come to me as a young couple, as I've talked with them and I've placed their infants beneath the sod, and I, as I stood there and I said, Why, Pastor, why? And I'll have to say to them, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? In your conception, perhaps in my conception, I cannot put all of these things together. But until I can appreciate and advance in my knowledge of God, what I cannot understand, I must come humbly before the revelation which God has given of himself in the pages of the Bible and deal with the question that's asked there, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And so when you settle that question and settle it once and for all, oh, my friend, the peace and joy it gives you. Because there's many implications which flow from that question. It means that as you get up and the sun begins to break through your morning window and you see this is the day the Lord hath made, we will rejoice therein and be glad. And you look around and you see a wife, a loving companion, you see lovely children whom God has given you. And you see these, and as we go through this day, and you know not what a day is going to bring forth. You know not what's going to come into your life that particular day. And as you look at those things which have been placed into your care and your loving protection, and you see that the Lord has gave them to you, 
But we're also recognizing the back of our mind that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And that as Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. So now you can do one of two things, beloved. You can either approach each day as saying, oh my, I wonder what's going to come about today to where it just overwhelms you and robs you of the joy of your present life. Or else you can say, as you go out with the rising of the sun, this is the day the Lord hath made. The Lord, the righteous judge, shall be right. Nothing wrong shall come in my path today. And if he sees fit to allow more prosperity to come into my life, then I shall humbly bow before him and say, the Lord gives. And if he allows some humbling a crucifixion of the flesh to come into my life, then may I be enabled to say the Lord takes away. But the Lord always does right. The Lord always does right. Shall not the judge of the earth be right? Now secondly, in answering this question, we must realize that our finite minds are too limited to explore the depths of God's judgment. We read in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, did we hear that? Let's read it again. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Do you ever sit around and try to figure out why God does this and why he does that? My friend, if he hasn't revealed it to you in the pages of the red, why he does it, you never will unless he reveals it to you. Because he does not reveal all of his ways and his judgment. And even the greatest person who was caught up into the third heaven, there into the very abode of God, he writes these words, Oh, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways passed out. Now, our judgments are faulty. Because we do not have all the facts before us. Therefore, we have to adore God's justice when we not, cannot see a reason for it. Now, all of us have limited minds. And we make judgments on the basis of the facts which we have before us. If I have three figures here and they're all twos, and I can see two and a two and a two, then from the basis of those facts, I can conclude that they add up to six, and I would be correct. But that doesn't mean that every time that I add up some, some figures of mathematics, I'm going to come up with a correct answer, because I have a limited mind. And when we're dealing with an infinite God who has infinite wisdom and he's not seen fit or could not reveal all this wisdom to us, then some things that he does are beyond our comprehension. And our conceptions of justice are such that we would say, well, if I were the judge, this is what I would do. But when we begin to bring God into our court in that fashion, we're only trying to do so in saying that I have more wisdom, more understanding of what's going on than you. And God has not seen fit to reveal all of his actions and his ways unto us. It would be like a two-year-old child passing judgment upon their parents for some action why they told them to do it. You remember what, uh, back when you were a child when mom and dad had said, now, now don't touch that iron. And they had a reason for saying that. 
I remember just as clearly when I was some uh, three and a half, four years of age in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mom was ironing one day, and she said, Now don't touch that iron, Jim. It'll burn you. So she went off into the other room, and I thought I had more knowledge of the situation than she. So I went over, and I put my thumb up there on that iron, and I took it off, and just as quick as I took it off, there was a very big blister of water that came up there just just almost like that. I remember that just like yesterday. Now, what did that reveal? It revealed that my mother had more knowledge about that particular situation than I, although I felt I knew better. Now, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The word of God says the Lord is righteous in all of his ways, holy in all of his works. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So our judgments are faulty because we do not have the ability to judge righteously in every situation because we don't have all the facts before us. Therefore, we have to adore God's justice when we cannot see a reason for it. Now, thirdly, to answer this question, how can I reconcile these things which I have a hard time uh, appreciating the justice of God in? Do not argue with God's revealed justice. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 verse 14, dealing with a very deep and mysterious subject of God's grace and his mercy upon some and not upon others, when it is revealed that God says, I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful and I will harden those whom I will harden. The Apostle, when he quotes that text which God revealed to Moses, he anticipates an, uh, an objection by the human mind saying, that is not fair, God, that is not fair. He anticipates this objection. Now notice, how does he answer it? How does he then attempt to reconcile God's justice with God's prerogative to bestow mercy in a sovereign fashion? He says it with these words, and listen carefully. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? When God says, I have the right to do as I please, and man says, no, you don't, because that doesn't go along with my conception, then instead of trying to bring the two together, these two conceptions of justice, Paul says, it is our duty as a creature to bow before the sovereign majesty of God and instead of arguing and replying against God's right to be God, that we say, oh God, I delight in that. I delight in it. Because it's in that that I worship you as a creature worships his creator. Settle this question. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Realize that our finite minds are too limited to explore the depths of God's judgment and realize that we are not to argue with the justice of God, but we are to bow to it and submit ourselves unto it. And then the lady asked me one time at a funeral of her husband, who had never made a profession of faith, and Christ had no interest at all in the things of the Lord, from all appearances died under the justice of God. Uh, she said, well, Pastor Gables, what? Will he get? Where is he now? 
And that's always something that cuts deep to the heart of a person who has to stand with an open casket and have the wife ask, where is this person now? And it's always the temptation to try to preach someone who has never been made any interest at all and God try to preach them into heaven, which I've never made a practice of doing. But the consoling answer that all that we can give, and yet it consoles me, and that is this. He is in the hands of a just God. He will be treated right before God. He will not be treated by an unjust judge, but he will get a fair hearing before the judgment of God. And my friend, when we look around and we see multitudes perishing, dying and going out into an eternity without God, and we say, what about the justice of God? And we have good reason to believe that they're probably not converted. What consolation can we draw from this? That they will not be treated any worse than what they deserve. They're in the hands of a just and righteous God. Shall not the judge of the earth be right? Now, what are some of the evidences of God's justice? You say, Pastor, if God is just, and he exercises his justice, what are some of these evidences? We read in Jude chapter 5 and verse 7. I will therefore put you in remembrance that ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness and to the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. We read in the Bible that God has revealed his justice against sin. And these are just a few of the ways. If time would permit, we would enlarge upon this to show that our God despises sin and he deals with sin. But I do not feel that God would have us dwell on this because it would take away from the climax, I think, of our message today to see the greatest example of all of God's justice is seen in the demanding of full payment for our sins in the death of his own son. You want to see justice? Then you look at the cross of Calvary. And there you'll see that God did not relinquish one iota of what he demanded of me as a sinner. But we read, if God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, then how shall he not then uh, punish or punish, set forth judgment upon the wicked? Some have come to me and they say, well, Pastor Gables, I just can't conceive of God really judging a person to the degree that he says he'll do in the Bible. And yet I'm a Christian. I acknowledge the, the work of Christ and so forth. But my friend, think just a moment. If God did not see fit to spare his only begotten son, do you think he'll spare the unrepentant and the unregenerate? If God, it says as Isaiah reveals it, Please, God, to bruise him, to put Christ on the cross, 
If he did that to his own son, what hope does the unrepentant sinner have of appearing before a righteous and holy God? But you want to see the justice of God? We read it in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus, and he which spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How do you say, Pastor, how can a righteous judge let a guilty criminal go free from his court without becoming guilty himself? I suppose this individual over here came into my court and I was a judge and he had done what some had done, killed seven, eight, nine times and there was no question about it and he'd been found guilty under the law and he came into my court of justice and I said, well, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pretend that you never did any of these things and I'm going to let you go right back out into society. It wouldn't be a second until he walked out of my court that society itself would rise up and call for my resignation because the law has said he's guilty and this is the punishment of the law and yet here I as an unrighteous judge let this man go free which was found guilty by the whole law of the land. Now my friend, you stop and think upon this for a second. How can a righteous and holy God let a guilty sinner come into his court and then go free without suffering punishment and still have his name free? That is, his, the name of the judge be upheld in honor by others. How can you and I go into the presence of God and when we stand there in God's holy law, pronounces us guilty as charged. No question about it. We have all the charges here. We can play them back and show what Jim Gables has done. And then God turns and says, cancel, not guilty. How can the holy angels then look upon their creator and say, you're unjust. You let a sinner go free and come into your heaven. How can this be? Now notice our text says it is through the work of Jesus Christ that God is a just God, but he's also the justifier. It is through Christ coming and wrapping himself in the form of human flesh, living a sinless life, and then dying and paying the penalty in my stead. Now, I don't understand that. I don't understand, and I'll tell you this, I've read hundreds of books of some of the deepest thinking theologians that the world has ever sent, that God has ever given to the world. And there's not a one that ever has been able to answer the question, how can a sinless person justly suffer? That's never been answered. How could God be just and punish a sinless, innocent being, his own son? That question is not answered in the pages of the Bible. But it is answered this. 
God has sent His Son, and He has taken upon Himself our sins. So where when the law says, Jim Gables, you are condemned, you are guilty, God can now accept me in the person of the substitute of His Son, and the law remains upheld because Jesus Christ has borne the penalty of that law. Christ came, he never violated one of the Ten Commandments. He never one time committed an act of sin against God or a sin against his fellow man. He kept the law of God perfectly. And yet he died bearing the penalty of a broken law on my behalf. So that God can now be upheld, he's just. God does not relinquish the demands of the law. Instead, he fulfills them in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you have a sin problem today? Do you have a problem of a conscience that condemns you with this thought? How can I, a sinner who has broken God's law, expect to enter into his law court and expect to escape his justice? I'm already guilty, Pastor. How can I ever have peace of conscience in knowing that I can stand before a righteous and just judge who's going to judge righteously the way I can't give him a five-dollar bill and slip it under the table and then he'll overlook my sin? How can I go and meet that great tempter, Satan himself, and that one who knows for my very body death and the grave? How can I go through life without having this tormenting conscience of having to appear before this righteous and just judge? My friend, there is a way. And as a gospel preacher, it's the depths of my heart and the joy of my heart to proclaim it to you today. You can stand before this righteous and holy judge not claiming your own self, your own righteousness, but you can stand there claiming Jesus Christ as your righteousness the word God can then accept you just, and yet he can be the justifier of those which believe in Jesus Christ. So that when you stand before him and Satan, that old tempter stands and says, Jim Gables, you've done this, and you've done this, and you've done this, and I have to bow before that law court and say, you're right, you're right, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. And Satan says, condemn him, cast him out. He has no place in your heaven. And I have to stand there and say, yes, I have no right here of my own, but I come here claiming the person and work of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and my prosecuting or, or my defense attorney stands up by my side, the one whose hands were pierced, the one whose side was opened in the blood was shed forth, and he says, I bore his sins. I took every one of them upon myself. And I died. The law has been satisfied. And I arose, and now I stand representing him. Father, receive him, not on his standing, but upon the standing he has in me. Receive him into the presence of your everlasting joy. And my friend, that's when the redeemed of all the ages shall stand and say, Worthy alone is the Lamb who died and has redeemed us unto himself out of every kindred and tongue and nation.
I hope that's your hope today. I hope that when you stand before this righteous and just judge who shall uphold every demand of his law before human beings, that you will stand there not in your own rags of self-righteousness, but stand there claiming the person and the merits of his own son on your behalf so that you may be enabled to enter into the eternal presence of God and stand justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Shall we stand together?